open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. We've been studying here for several weeks now, and we've still got a week or so to go in our study of this chapter. I wonder how many of you experienced the same thing that I experienced this morning. The alarm clock went off, which is always a terrible way to start the day, in my opinion. But the alarm clock went off. I got up and went into the bathroom, looked into the mirror. I'm always impressed when I look in the mirror, but um, I looked into the mirror and I saw that there were some improvements that need to be made. Perhaps maybe more than usual this morning, but there were some improvements that needed to be made. And I think all of us here, you're, uh, we all need improvement, don't we? Uh, some of you more than others. But in our bathroom there at home, we have all kinds of products. There must be a hundred or more things that we use to make our bodies look better, to just kind of improve things. Well, the Bible teaches that when you become a Christian and when you die and you go into the grave, that you're actually going to come out better than you went in. I know that seems hard to understand that you could actually have to die to get better, but that's what the Bible teaches. A believer in Jesus Christ will actually have to die to get better. There's going to be improvement when we come up out of the grave. In the Corinthian church, there was a lot of confusion about this and There were a lot of people who didn't really understand about the resurrection of the dead, and they thought a resurrection was not desirable. They didn't want a resurrection because they couldn't understand how that a body that goes into the grave lies there and then starts decaying. How could it possibly come out of that grave better than it went in? And so they didn't understand it. So they didn't really want a resurrection. And they were content to believe that, yes, there will be A spiritual resurrection will live in the spirit, but the body can't actually live forever. One of the purposes of Paul writing this chapter is to explain there will be a resurrection of the body. And he states that because Jesus Christ came out of the grave in his body, we are also going to come out of the grave in a body. Well, as I said, that, that seemed incredible to those people in Corinth. And so there was a lot of background noise. Paul knew there was a lot of questions that were floating around. How is this possible? How are the dead raised up? We're going to talk about that today. And if Jesus tarries his coming, all of us as Christians are going to die, and everybody else is going to die as well. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your body will go into the grave, but what comes out is a new and improved you. Let's read about this. If you'd stand with me, please, as we read God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're starting in verse number 35. If you have a Bible that you can share with someone who doesn't, then please do that. We have several verses to read. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 35. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, thou which sowest, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. It's not made alive unless it dies. And that thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain. There, of course, he's talking about a farmer sowing seeds in the ground. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. 
For one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening, a life-giving spirit. Howbeit, that was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth earthy, and the second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy, and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Some of that may be a little bit hard for you to understand today, but we're going to talk about it and try to explain it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we're able to be here today. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who did come to this earth and gave his life for our sins. And when he arose from the grave, he gave us the promise that we also would come out of our graves if we believe in him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. In verse number 35, Paul answers two very important questions that he knows that are on people's minds. He's been arguing here in this chapter for the resurrection. And in the first part of the chapter, he began with those great statements about the gospel of Christ. And he makes it very plain to us there that the resurrection of Jesus has huge implications for our faith and also for the truthfulness of the gospel itself. Then he goes on with his arguments in the chapter and he speaks of the order of the resurrection. And he tells us that Jesus was the first to come out of the grave in his own power. That happened 2,000 years ago. But Jesus came out of the grave, he came out in a glorified body, and then he ascended back to his Father which is in heaven. But then Jesus is going to come back, Paul says. We don't know when that's going to be, but in a later time, Jesus will come back to this earth. And at that time, the bodies of those who have died in Christ, those who have died believing in him, those bodies will be raised from the grave. Now, Jesus was called the first fruits of the resurrection, the first one to arise under his own power. And these fruits or these people that will arise after Jesus comes back are the following fruits. But then Paul goes on and explains there's something else that will happen. When Jesus comes back, there will begin seven years of awful tribulation upon the earth. During that time, uh, vast numbers of people will die, but also there will be a great number of people who will be saved, and they will die having been believers in Christ. And so Paul talks about how Christ will also raise them up. Those are what we call the final fruits of the resurrection. Then he goes on even further, and he talks about how that when Christ comes, he will subdue all of his enemies, even the very last enemy that's worst of all, and that is the enemy of death. Jesus comes to destroy death. And so Paul, in his arguments, continues, and and he tells us how Christians ought to live because of the fact that there is a resurrection. Friends, that will happen. It is sure to happen. According to the Word of God, this will happen. And the thing about you is that you need to see which side of this that you're on. Are you on the side of Jesus Christ? And if you are, then you ought to be living a life today that draws other people to the light of Christ. Now that brings us then to these two questions that are asked in verse number 35. How will our bodies be raised? And what kind of body will it be? 
Let's notice first of all today the continuity of the resurrected body. The continuity of the resurrected body. Now Paul's already established, it's very clear as we read the chapter, there will be a bodily resurrection. The body that goes into the grave will come out of the grave. This is a body that lives on. Well, that raises a huge question in people's minds. What about all of those bodies that are in graves that have now completely decayed? What about people who died in explosions, in war or something? What about those who, were, who died at sea and they threw their bodies overboard and the bodies were eaten by fish and the bodies no more? What are you going to do about that? Many of you have probably heard of Roger Williams. Roger Williams was the founder of the state of Rhode Island and many people believe he's also the founder of the first Baptist church in America. There, there's some arguing about whether he was or not. But they decided years after Roger William died that they were going to dig up his body and put his body in a different grave. Well, they went to his grave and they started to dig it up, but they noticed something. There was an apple tree that was growing nearby, and that apple tree had extended its roots right into the coffin of Roger Williams. And so when they started to dig him up, they found out there was no body there. Actually, his body had become fertilizer for that apple tree. And so anybody who ate an apple off that tree was ingesting a little bit of Roger Williams. Well, that raises a question. What about people like that? I mean, their body is no more. How are they going to be raised up? What are we going to do? What's God going to do about it? Well, Paul answers this question. And really, the answer to the question is this. With God, nothing is impossible. Nothing's impossible with God. God is the creator And he has as much ability and as much power to bring a body up from the grave, though it has decayed, as he had to create man out of the dust of the earth in the first place. Now, doesn't that, doesn't the Bible tell us that that, that's how Adam was created? In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. You look down in verse number 47 of this text in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, the first man is of the earth, earthy. Folks, we didn't come from monkeys. We came from the dust of the earth. God made us, and that wasn't too hard for God. He was able to do it. Now, let's look here how Paul sets up his argument. He says in verse 36, thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened. That means it's not made alive, except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. So he's talking here about the farmer as he goes out to sow his crop. And have you ever thought about that? Have you thought about really uh, just how miraculous it is for just a seed to grow? When you plant that little bitty seed into the ground, it's just a little old thing. But in that seed contains the life germ of the plant. There's all the genetic material that's needed in that little seed to make an acorn into a huge oak tree. When a farmer sows a, a grain of corn, he puts that little kernel of corn into the ground, up grows a stalk of corn, ears grow on that, thousands of seed come from it. The Bible talks about wheat, and a, a farmer also sows a husk of wheat. He puts that into the ground, and up out of the ground comes a stalk, is a vibrant plant that can feed millions upon millions of people. That, folks, is a miracle. Have you ever thought about that, what a miracle that is? 
Jesus used the very same analogy in the book of John when he was talking about his resurrection. He says in John 12, verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Last week when we were talking about Paul's argument over in Romans chapter 6 about baptism, he also talked about the body being sown or the body being planted. He says in verse 5 of Romans chapter 6, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Now think about that little seed that goes into a ground, into the ground. When, when you put the seed into the ground, it's not the same thing that comes up out of the ground. I mean, it's just a little seed when it goes in, but that seed changes radically. But what comes up out of the ground bears the characteristics of the plant from which it came. And so if you plant corn in the ground, you're always going to get corn. That's not going to change. Can you imagine if God had decided otherwise? And so a farmer goes out and he sows a whole field full of corn, but he goes out to reap his harvest, and instead of corn growing, there's a whole field of blackberries. Well, he's going to be very upset about that. He goes out to pick corn. It's going to be hard because of all those sticky blackberries that are there. So when you sow one particular seed, up comes that same kind of plant. Now, Paul says that the resurrection is like that. God can take one cell of your body, one cell that contains all of the genetic material that that makes you as an individual, and just like planting that seed, up pops a brand new you. Now, when you were born, you started out as just a little bitty embryo. But what was in that embryo was what made you the unique individual that you are. And what came from the embryo couldn't have been anything but you. You see, this is not too hard for God. That's the argument that he's making. Well, some people will say, oh, well, well, that may be true, but, but scientists have been able to do things like that. And you have this argument today over the ethics of cloning humans from individual cells. And so they say, man can do that. But folks, the scientist always starts out with living material. God started out with inanimate, dead material, and he breathed the breath of life into it. There's no person that can do that. Nothing is impossible for God. So that's the point here. It's not too hard for God. Then he goes on and he talks about the different kinds of flesh that God's able to keep up with. In verse number 39, he talks about animals have one kind of flesh, fish have a different kind of flesh, birds have a different kind, and God is able to keep all of those things distinct. Then he goes on even to talk about the heavenly bodies, things that we see in space. Now there, of course, he's not talking about a fleshly body, but he says there's a difference in those things. There's a difference between the sun and the moon. The sun is a source of light. The moon reflects the light. Both of those are beautiful in their own sphere, but they're not the same thing. They're not the same kind of bodies. God is able to keep that distinct. So if God is able to keep up with all the diversities of seeds, he's able to keep up with all the different kinds of flesh that are in the world, if he can keep up with all the stars that are in the heavens, do you you think really that it's too hard for God to call the molecules of your body back together and make that body new? So do you see what Paul's saying here? Nothing is impossible with God. And he goes on so far to say in verse 36, Thou fool, can you see all of this? And can you still ask, how are the dead raised up? So if the body dies, 
God is able to keep a continuous chain of all the materials that are necessary to reconstitute you into a new, improved form. So what is it then that comes out of the grave? It will be you. When you go into the grave, it'll be you that comes out. On that resurrection morning, when the graves are open and God calls the people out of their graves, Larry Jefferson is not coming out of my grave. I'm not sure he's coming out of his, to tell you the truth. But, but he's not coming out of my grave. When you come out of the grave, friend, it's going to be you. Now that leads me to the next point here, and that is we retain our identity. We come out in a new body, but it's a recognizable body. We retain our identity. When Jesus appeared to the disciples after the resurrection, if you remember the story, they were afraid of him at first. They said, well, it's a ghost. We think we see a ghost. Well, whose ghost did they think that they saw? They didn't say, well, suddenly Noah has appeared before us. They didn't think it was Noah. It was the Lord. And Jesus invited them to come over and to touch his body. They could recognize him. This body will be recognizable when we get to heaven. And you know, that's a question that people often ask. Will we know each other when we get to heaven? Will we recognize anybody? Am I going to know who my wife is when I get there? Will I know who my husband is, who my children are? Am I going to recognize mom and dad when I get to heaven? There are several places in the Bible that we could go to just give you proof that we'll recognize one another in heaven. We could go to the story about David and his baby that died. You remember when David's baby died, he said, he's going to heaven and I'll get to see him again. He knew that his baby would be there and he would recognize his baby. We could talk about uh, Jesus and the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. There Jesus was gloriously transformed in front of his disciples. And do you remember there were two people that appeared with him there? Moses and Elijah. And they were recognizable. In fact, Peter wanted to build a memorial to just to, to have a shrine for that event. When the rich man in Luke chapter 16 lifted up his eyes in hell, he looked into heaven and he saw Lazarus. He recognized the man who was a beggar that was lying at his gate. He also recognized Father Abraham. Folks, when you get to heaven, we're going to be able to recognize one another. If you think about that, uh, how much comfort could I give to somebody if I'm preaching a funeral? And I say, well, here in this casket lies the body of your mother. We're going to put this body into the grave, and her body's going to rise from the grave. But you'll have no idea who she is. That wouldn't give anybody any comfort. When I go to heaven, I want to see my dad. I want to see my grandmother and my grandfather. I even want to see my mother-in-law, folks. I want to see her, too. I'm going to know them, and they'll know me. You know, I also believe that God's going to give us special knowledge of all the other saints that are there. I'm not going to have to go around wondering, I wonder if this one's Peter and that one's Paul. I think God's going to let me know who each of those are. And they're going to know me. When the Bible says that we're going to have a body that's made like Jesus, that doesn't mean that we're all going to look like Jesus. There's going to be a distinction between us. There are some people who say, well, Jesus died at 33 years old, And so that means that everybody, when they get to heaven, they'll be 33 years old. I don't know about that. I really don't care about that. I was good looking at 33, so it doesn't make any difference to me. But I do know this, folks. We will have the characteristics of holiness and righteousness. Morally, we're going to be made just like Jesus. But you will be able to tell a difference between us. We'll we'll know who Jesus is. I think that we're going to see the wounds in his hands and his feet and in his side. 
the wounds in the body of Jesus, that's going to be a reminder for all of eternity. The very reason that we're there is because Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. So we're going to have recognizable bodies. That's not too hard for God. God can keep the continuity of the body. He has the power to do it, and he will do it. He has the ability, friends, to make a new, improved you. And when you come out of that grave, you're going to be so much better. So Pastor Smith, folks, he's handsome now, but wait till you see him in heaven. He's going to be new and improved. So that's one question that Paul answers here. How are the dead raised up? It's not too hard for God. It's not too hard for God who made the body to also continue the body. Now, secondly, let's talk about the construction of the resurrected body. The next question that Paul answers, with what body do they come? And we've already answered that some. We said it's an identifiable body. This is a body that looks like you. And thank God that our opinions of beauty will change when we get to heaven because I was kind of hoping some of you wouldn't look like you. But I'm going to recognize you there, and and we're all going to be beautiful when we get to heaven. Look at verse number 41. This is really interesting because this might contain a little bit of a clue about our resurrected bodies. It says, There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, and one star differeth from another star in glory. There's some who believe that Paul has a double meaning in that verse. In one way, he, he's talking about the sun and about the moon. He's talking about all the starry host of heavens. They are heavenly bodies, and they're all spectacular. In constitution, as I said a moment ago, they're a little bit different. The sun is different from the moon and so forth, and the stars. But he also may be talking here about our heavenly bodies, That you and I as Christians, when we get to heaven, we may be different from each other in more than just our identity. Now, perhaps this really doesn't have so much to say about the body itself, but it does have something to say about our makeup, and that is that some of us, some when we get to heaven, will receive greater rewards than other people will receive in heaven. All of us are not going to be rewarded in the same way. The Bible says that we're going to be rewarded according to the things that we've done in our body on this earth. So the more we serve God, the more rewards that we're going to receive. So I think what he may be talking about here is that there are some who have greater capacity to enjoy heaven. I think all of us will be as happy as we could possibly be to our extent when we get to heaven, but some are going to be able to enjoy heaven even more because they serve God better in in better ways in this life. Now that's an incentive for us. That's an incentive to serve God right here because of the joy that we're going to have in heaven. All of those eternal benefits. And someone has said that when you retire from this life as a Christian, your benefits are out of this world. And that's absolutely true. But what kind of body is it going to be? Well, we find this in verses 42 and 43. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. This body that goes into the grave bears all the marks of the curse that's been placed upon it. One of the oddest things that you'll ever hear when you go to a funeral, if someone dies unexpectedly, and, 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 and that person, you have the funeral for them, and somebody will say, what an untimely death that was. At least they died healthy. Who dies healthy? I mean, all of us are under a curse. That came from Adam, the very first man. When he fell, it put all of us under a curse. But the body that comes out of the grave will not bear the marks of that curse. This is a different body. It's constructed differently. So the body that goes into the tomb comes out 
The same body minus a very important detail, and that is this body does not have the curse. God removes the curse. Nobody really knows what Adam was like before he fell. God created Adam, and they tell us, you know, today, since the time of Adam, all these years that have passed, they tell us today that we only use 2% of our mental capacity. Some of us exist on far less than that, but 2%, that, that's all we use of our mental capacity. But when God created Adam, he created a man with a brain that was operating, operating at 100% efficiency. So there's no telling what Adam could have done with the physical body when the brain is working at 100% efficiency. But friends, I believe this, that in our resurrected body, the body that goes into heaven, it's going to be even better than that body that Adam had. Let me give you three ways that I think our body is better. First of all, it's built to survive. The resurrected body is one that has to last a long, long time. This is a body that can't wear out because we're going to be around for all of eternity. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, how would you survive heaven if you went to heaven in the body that you have exactly like it is right now? How would you survive heaven? You couldn't. As soon as you walked into heaven, they would show you the door. You'd be ushered right out. And you know why? Because you'd come in a body that has germs in it. You come in a body that has disease in it. You have all these problems. What would you do if you got pneumonia if you were in heaven? There aren't any hospitals there. So what are you going to do? You see, this is a body that's built for this world. The one we're in right now is built for this world, but the resurrected body is built for that world. It's built for this other place. Now, the other day, my wife cleaned out the refrigerator. Things in this life perish. She was cleaning out the refrigerator, and she turned to me and she said, do you want to keep this cheese? And I looked at that, and we made our own blue cheese right there in the refrigerator. (laughs) Things here perish, and so we throw them away. The body corrupts, it decays. When Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus, he walked up to that tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Martha said, I don't think that's such a good idea. He's been dead for four days and his body stinks. His body had decayed. I remember when I was just a child that uh, in my younger years that, uh, that there was a, a fellow that lived in, in a house next to the lane that went up to the church. This old fellow would come to church every now and then. He wasn't a regular attender of church, but uh, he would come every now and then. Well, after a while, one summer we noticed that we hadn't seen that old man around for very long. It's been a long time, I mean, since we'd seen him. So somebody went down to his house to check on him. They noticed that there was a crack in one of the windows, and there was these big green flies that were flying in and out of, uh, flying in and out of that crack. So they went and knocked on the door, and nobody answered the door. They got a little bit worried about it, so they actually broke into the house, and the stench that rolled out of that house was unbelievable. That old man died there with the hot Kentucky sun bearing down on that house, and his body was decaying inside. This body perishes. It's not going to last. So the resurrection body has to be a body that lasts. It's going to be around for all of eternity, so God has to make it tough. It's going to last throughout all the ages. And so God is going to make a body that's made, especially made for heaven. The second thing that we learn about the body, is it's a body that's built for splendor. Verse 43 says, this body that goes into the grave goes in in dishonor. What do you do with a dead body? Nobody wants to keep a dead body around for very long. When a person dies, you take them to the funeral home, and the mortician does his very best to make that body look good. 
and he combs the hair. He puts a nice two-piece suit, three-piece suit on the body. And all the family comes around and says, oh, he looks so natural. And I've never figured that one out, but oh, he looks so natural. As good as the body looks, and as beautiful as the mortician can make that body look, you don't want to keep it around for very long. So as soon as it's practicable, you take that body out there and you put it in a grave. But the body that comes out of that grave is going to be different. This is a glorious body. That's what he says in the last clause of verse 43. It is raised in glory. So here is a body that's raised minus all of the defects. No scars, no bruises on this body. This body will not be one pound overweight. It's a body that's made to live in glory. It's built for the splendor of heaven. Then there's a third thing that makes the body better. It's built for speed. It says here, it's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. The body that goes into the grave is completely helpless. This body can't get out of the grave on its own, but it's going to be raised, the Bible says, in power. When Jesus comes back, man, just as quick as a flash, that body's going to be raised in power to come out of the grave. Next week, we're going to talk about, well, two weeks, actually, we're going to talk about living Christians. What happens to them when Jesus comes back? And we're going to talk about how fast the change is in a living Christian. But here, Paul's talking about the resurrected body, and it comes out with incredible power and speed. You know, I like to think about what this body will be able to do. What's the fastest way that you could get to the nearest star? Did you know that if you could go to the nearest star besides our sun, it would take you 4.3 light years to get there? One light year is 5.9 million million miles. So if you could travel at the speed of light, of course, which you can't, but if you could, it'd still take you over four years to get to the nearest star. But in my resurrected body, I'll be able to get there just as fast as I can think it. Sometimes, like I did last night, I I took out some of the pictures that Gary and I took when we were in Israel. And I could look at those pictures, and just with the speed of thought, I could imagine myself being right there in that place again. I mean, I could just kind of go through it all again as I thought about that. Well, folks, in my resurrected body, with the speed of thought, I can be in any place that I want to be. I can be any place in this universe that I want to be with just the speed of thought. This is also a body that will have the ability to appear anywhere. You're not going to be able to lock me out of a room. You can't keep me out of a building because I can appear anywhere. I can go right through the walls. I don't know how it's possible because the Bible teaches that it is a body. It's not just a spirit, but I'll be able to go right through the walls if I want to do that. Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a great thing. Jesus was able to do that. That's what his body was able to do. When he appeared to the disciples, they were there in a locked room. The doors were shut. The windows were shut. The Bible says that they were afraid that the Jews would come and get them too. They thought they would be crucified also. But Jesus appeared in that locked room. There was no way to keep him out. And that's exactly like it's going to be with my body. I'll be able to go anywhere that I want to go. It's an amazing body. So here we have a body that's constructed out of heavenly materials. It is indestructible. It's glorious in appearance. It has power to do things that we can't even imagine. So they said, what kind of body is it? It's a special body built for a special place. Now, lastly, Paul ends this section with some important contrast. Number three, we're going to look at the contrast between the bodies. 
Now, we've already been dealing with some of those contrasts, but let me give you two more differences between the body that goes into the grave and the body that comes out of the grave. First of all, it is different in its inception. We started out with a body made out of plain old dirt. In verse number 44, Paul says it is sown a natural body. So Adam's body was a prototype for our bodies. We read in verse number 47 that Adam came from the earth. So we first had to have this earthly body because that's the way that we come into existence. We're born with a natural body. Verse 48 says, as is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. So all of us got a body that's like Adam. Now I want you to pay close attention to me right here. If you didn't get anything else from the message today, you need to hear what I'm going to say at the end of this message. The first part that happened to you, the first thing that happened to you is that you were born into this world. And through that, you received all of the characteristics of Adam. Adam was made a living soul because God breathed the breath of life into him. Everything that happened to Adam flows down to us. And so when Adam sinned against God, the guilt of Adam's transgression flowed down to us. When Adam sinned, he died spiritually. When he sinned against God, his spiritual life ended. And every person that comes into this world in this natural body that we have, all of us come into the world spiritually dead. We have no life towards God, not spiritual life. So Adam died spiritually after he sinned against God. But there's a second man that came to the earth, and this man who came to earth was not a created being. He's the Lord God himself. This person came to this earth as a life-giving spirit. Verse 45 says, And so it was written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit, a life-giving spirit. So the second man, Adam, didn't get life like Adam got life. He came to give life because this is God. So you have to be born physically into the world, but in order to receive a spiritual body, Physically into the world, you get a physical body. But in order to receive a spiritual body, friend, you have to be born again. And so Jesus came to give spiritual life. So as you received a physical body by being born into the world, you will receive a spiritual body because you've been born again into the kingdom of God. So that's what Paul's saying here. The natural body is what came first, and then comes the spiritual body. But it only comes to those who have been born again. Jesus said, you must be born again. And if you aren't, you will not see the kingdom of God. So you see, there's a difference in the inception. Physical body is given to, uh, gives us physical life, but this body is not suited for heaven. But the born-again believer receives spiritual life, and then he'll be housed later in a spiritual body that's built specially for heaven. Now, there's a second thing, another point I need to make. It's different in image. Verses 48 and 49. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. You and I, born in a physical body, have all of the characteristics of the first man that was ever created. We have all the limitations of our physical body. And that means that our ears have a limited range. Our sight is only good so far. Our legs will only carry us till we get tired. Our minds are subject to mental exhaustion. All of those things are in the image of Adam. But when we rise in the spiritual body, 
The Bible says that we'll bear the image of the heavenly. And so that means that we'll have a body with all of those characteristics I talked about before. The body that has the speed, the one that has the splendor, the body that's built to survive. We have all of that. But I think that Paul has something more in mind than just the physical limitations and the physical differences. I think he also means that we're going to have a body dedicated 100% to the glory and the worship of God. This physical body that we live in thinks the wrong thoughts. Our eyes see the wrong things. Our ears listen to the wrong things. We hear the wrong kind of music. Our hands dabble in corruption. Our feet take us to places that we ought not to go. Paul summed all of that up in Romans chapter 3 when he said, They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, and with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So this body that we have, the physical body, is subject to all of that corruption because it's in the image of Adam. But our improved body is going to be different. Because the new improved body will have all of our faculties channeled towards the glory of God. And so there won't be one ounce of this spiritual body, one ounce of this new improved body that is not going to dedicate itself 100% always to the worship and glory of God. God will be magnified in this spiritual body that we're given. So continually... All throughout eternity, we will give service to God. We'll always be welcomed into the fellowship of God because we have that new, improved body made that way because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to ask you something today. Are you ready for that? Have you been given more than just physical life? Everybody here today, you've been given physical life. You're breathing, that's why you're here today. But there may be somebody here today you have not yet been given spiritual life. Now, we've been talking about the resurrection of the body. That, of course, is a future event. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. We don't know what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. But we do know this, that in your spirit, you can be made ready today to inhabit that spiritual body. And the way that you become ready is by putting your faith, your personal faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And when you do that, immediately upon your belief, God puts within you a new spirit that will be ready to accept that new improved body at the resurrection. I want to encourage you today, you don't want to go home without Jesus. You don't want to leave here without knowing him. Would you write down this last comment on your listening sheet today? The difference is an eternally living body suited for heaven or an eternally dying body suffering in hell. That's what the Bible teaches. Write that down carefully. The difference is an eternally living body suited for heaven, or an eternally dying body suffering in hell. Which one is it for you? I hope today that everyone here, that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and the spirit of his life is in you. And then when the resurrection comes, that new, improved body will come out of the grave. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the truths that we learn from your word. Lord, we thank you again for Jesus Christ who came into the world, who died for our sins. I pray, Lord, that 
there would be not one person who leaves here today without knowing Jesus Christ is their personal Savior. Speak to people today. Speak to Christians that are here today as well. And Lord, may we recognize this truth, that our bodies will be raised just like Jesus. And we thank you for that. Bless in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.